So originally, uh, well, let's, let's go back. Originally, I was going to give James one week to talk on fatherhood, and then we were going to do two weeks on marriage. And then James, because he likes to keep me on my toes, decided he needed two weeks on fatherhood, which isn't a big deal to anyone else. It's just to me because I like planning. And um, so I was like, he was going to do two weeks on fatherhood, and I was going to do one week on motherhood. And then apparently because God also likes to change my plans, um, just to remind me that I'm not the one in charge, and he is. Uh, so as I started sitting down and figuring out motherhood this morning, God gave me a different direction to go, and that's where we're going this morning. Um, still talking about relationships. He also gave me a very unique picture, which I'm going to share with you, uh, which James, I'm sure, will appreciate because it's really more of his example than my example. It's about cars. I know, right? And he's going to sit there and cringe because I'm sure I'm going to use the wrong terminology and not explain it well. But that's okay. So a car. A car is built for an intended purpose. Every car is built for a different intended purpose, right? If you are someone who loves to be in the bush, chances are you're probably going to have some kind of 4x4. Going to have something that is all-wheel drive or small enough you know, wheelbase, I think that's what it's called, that you can get over top of rocks and do all that stuff. If you are someone who likes to go fast, you're probably going to have some kind of fast sports car. Unless you like your bank account and like to be able to keep your license, then you may avoid owning a sports car, which is why we do not own a sports car. Um, I know. If you're commuting... That's primarily what you need your vehicle for. The reality is you're going to be looking for something that's really good on fuel. Really durable, good on fuel, gets you from point A to point B and costs you the least. Every car is built with an intended purpose. An owner gets a car. Their job is to take care of that car so it continues to do its function, continues to do its intended purpose. Here's the problem. When an owner doesn't take care of the car, it doesn't do what it needs to do. It doesn't do regular maintenance. It doesn't change its oil. James says, side note, that our girls are not allowed to marry anyone that, is not, that doesn't know how to change their oil. <laughs> or their brakes. It's like, it's just not going to happen. And then now he's loosened up and this is what he says. He says, they can marry someone as long as they're willing to be taught. <laughs> Because why? Because there's this need to know how to maintain your vehicle, right? An owner's job is to take care of the, the, the vehicle. James notices every little rust spot on your car, and it bugs him. And he's like, we need to fix that. Otherwise, it's going to continue to rust, and it's going to create more rust, and then we're going to end up with our whole car is rusting out. I see a little speck, and I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. But see, whoever owns that car, their, per, their, their uh, job is to take care of that car so it continues to be able to function with the purpose that it was created to, be, to function with. Here's what happens when an owner who owns a car doesn't take care of the car. The car starts to break down. It starts to run funny. That's how I would say it. James would be able to tell you every noise in a car. Although, I would like to say that because I've been married to James for so long, I can probably tell you if your wheel bearings are going, if it's your brakes. I'm getting there. No, but there is this, this, this need to take care of your vehicle. And, and if you don't take care of your vehicle, all of a sudden all the check engine, check engine lights come on, all these other lights come on, and if you just ignore them, the vehicle starts to deteriorate more and more and more. 
Now what happens? You decide, well, I'm going to sell this vehicle and I'm going to get another vehicle. So now that vehicle goes to someone else who wanted that vehicle for the intended purpose that it was created. But what happens if it wasn't maintained? Now someone else owns that vehicle that is broken. They're wondering why. Like, I know this vehicle was created for this, but why is it not doing what it's supposed to do? Like, there's something wrong here. And it can try and take care of that vehicle all at once. But if the vehicle hasn't been dealt with, all of the issues that have already come up to that point have not been dealt with. It doesn't matter how nice you are to that vehicle now. It's still not going to function how it was created to function. Relationships are a lot like this. We were built for a purpose. Each of us unique and different. Each of us for a specific calling. God has put things in you to do something that only you can do. Here's what happens though. You are given into this world, into human be to human beings that have issues. Newsflash, humans have issues. We all suck at some point or another. But here's what happens when you're given into a relationship, you're mostly your parents, and they don't notice when there's check engine lights going on, and they don't change the oil, and they don't take care of that vehicle. All of a sudden, that vehicle can't uh, fulfill its intended purpose because it hasn't been taken care of. Then what happens is you leave your parents and you go to someone else. And you're bringing all of that brokenness and all of that baggage. And that person can treat you the best that they know how. They can be perfect to you. And you still won't function the way that God intended you to function. Why? Because all the stuff that has happened up to that point hasn't been fixed yet. This is the cycle of relationships as us as human beings. That if we don't unpack what maybe wasn't taken care of when we were young, we can't possibly expect to be able to function the way that we were intended to function as an adult. James has this amazing ability to see a vehicle in a field. It can have trees going through it and totally rusted out. It could be sitting there for 60 years and he will look at it and he will just be enamored by it. Why? Because what he sees is the finished product. He sees what it was intended for. He has this ability to see it restored. He sees human beings the same, to be honest. He often looks and he gets excited at what they could be when they're restored. God's intention is for us to be restored, for us to be full, back to what he intended us to function as. It's hard for other people that are around us to see that. Why? Because often we just see the rust bucket in a field when we look at someone, with the tree growing through it. We see that it doesn't run, and it's broken. It's not what God sees. What God sees is what he intended for it to be. And he says, let me help you restore it. See, God isn't in the renovation business. He's in the restoration business. And here's the difference. When you renovate something, you want it to change. You want it to look different, to be different than what it originally was. 
God's not trying to renovate your life. God's trying to restore your life. He wants you to be back to what he intended you to be. He wants to restore you back to what you were created for. See, when we have a mindset where God is in the renovation business, we're looking for him to make us better. We're looking for the next uh, help book. Let me change myself. God's intention isn't to change you, to make you different than what you were made for. God's intention is to bring you back to what he created you for. There's a study done by... um, a big organization of psychiatrists down in the States. What they studied is childhood trauma on human behavior and human health. What they found is they they found that if they gave every person a point for every traumatic event that happened in their childhood, that their risk of health factors, even if they were super healthy, they did not smoke, they did not drink, they exercised, everything was right in line with every other health journal and what they say you should be doing and you shouldn't be doing. What they found is that if their ACE score, ACE basically, I'm not gonna tell you what it stands for, but every time you had a traumatic event as a child, that gives you one point. The higher the ACE score, the higher the health risks for that human being. Doesn't matter how healthy they are today, the higher the ACE score, the higher the risk. Every, or 67% of the population has at least one on that ACE score. 12% has more than four. That means one in 10 person, one in 10 of, of, of people that you meet has had more than four deeply traumatic events in their childhood. Why am I talking about this when we're talking about God and in the church? Well, because we need to understand that what happened to us when we're young, James talked about fatherhood the last couple weeks. What he talked about is this, what a good father is. He talked a bit about what can happen when a good father is not present, when he doesn't do his job well. I think as I sat and I prayed, God's like, we can't leave people there. Because now we've basically told them that, yeah, if your, your dad was a jerk, you're going to be screwed up. <laughs> Great. Go on, live your life. <laughs> God's like, but it goes beyond that. Your parental figures primarily, but again, childhood relationships, it goes beyond just your parents, but mostly your parents how they raised you, what they did, impacts you deeply. Not only your spiritual health, but your physical health. And there is a need. There's a need to come in and figure out what to do with that. See, obviously this study was saying, what can we do from a health perspective and their idea was well if we can get into kids when they're young and start screening for them just like we screen for all the other health issues we look and see how much trauma they're getting as a kid that we can give them supports to help them be able to manage and function that but again that's not restoring God's intention is to restore the first part 
of restoring is understanding the wound. See, when you evaluate a vehicle to try and restore it, there's this thing called diagnostics. Am I right, James? Oh, good, excellent. It means you have to, what, no, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe it's not, but I'm pretty sure it's diagnostics. Uh, in the science world, that's what it's called. You know, you're trying to figure out a scientific problem, that is more my realm, and you're looking and you're saying, okay, what's wrong, why isn't it working? Well, you're gonna go through a process of diagnostics. You're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna evaluate what's not working here, and then one by one, we're gonna fix those problems so that it can get back to what it's supposed to do. There is a need to get back to what it's intended to do, but in order to do that, you need to understand what's wrong, and so, this morning, I'm just going to read a few, but what I really want you to think of as, as I'm speaking is what are those traumatic events? Sometimes it, traumatic event isn't the right word. What is the trauma from childhood that may still be impacting you today? See, because we think of it as an event. We can think of, you know what, my childhood, like I don't have one major thing that happened but I know my home wasn't necessarily healthy. Trauma comes in lots of shapes and forms, but it impacts us. And so as I continue on this morning and we talk a bit about how do we heal from these things, I want you to think about what are the things that God is asking you to bring before him today. Uh, we, meet with our, we meet with our leaders and doing a course with them and we talked a bit about God doesn't want you to unearth everything at once. And so there's an importance to asking that question of God, what are you unearthing today that you want me to deal with? Because sometimes when we dig up everything that needs to be dealt with, we can end up in a little ball in the corner, right? Like I can't do any of it. It's crippling. But when you ask God the question, God, what piece do you want to unearth today? It gives him the opportunity to, to allow the Holy Spirit to say, here, I want you to deal with this. And then we're going to deal with this. And then we're going to deal with this. So because we've kind of gone over fathers in the last two weeks, I'm going to read you some, uh, a few very uh, normal things that people have from trauma, from their relationship with their fathers. You get to internalize that and decide, well, you know what, my dad was pretty good, but I have another relationship in my life from being a kid that this applies to. And the first one is neglect. Sometimes, James talked about it, your father was present, but he made you feel like I'm unimportant. The second one is absence. James talked about that as well. That can look at different things, divorce, separation, or death. Maybe he was just never present to begin with. Number three, abuse. Abuse used to look like a very specific thing and would fall into a certain category. Physical, sexual, abuse. There are two other ones that become more of a gray area and it becomes an area where you really need to pray through with God of what that looked like in your life. One of them is mental abuse the demeaning who you are as a human being, and the second one is spiritual abuse. If you grew up in the church, 
This happened more than we'd like to admit in generations before. Where a father, because he believed that he was the authority of the household, used his spirituality to mistreat his, fa- his family and his children. It gave us a skewed view of who God was, and it wasn't God's intention. Number four, control. Oppressive domination. This idea of, I will control your life because I am the father. And number four, number five, your discipline was withholding something that was not meant to be withheld. What do I mean by that? It means withholding love, affection. The things that a kid needs to thrive, to continue to be healthy. There are many other things that that we can come or we can come out of our childhood with that are traumatic. This is just scratching kind of the surface and giving you some reference to think about. So if God's intention for is for us to be restored, where do we go from here? It's like, okay, God, actually we're gonna take just like 30 seconds. I got a clock in front of me so I can tell what it's 30 seconds. We're going to take 30 seconds and I actually want you to sit, if you're here or you're downstairs or you're at home, I just want to give you 30 seconds. It's short enough that you won't feel awkward and it's long enough because the Holy Spirit is gracious that he can speak. 30 seconds to say, God, is there something this morning? Let's take 30 seconds. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I'm gonna continue to share. Don't feel obligated to listen. What God is saying is more important than what I'm saying, I promise. There are ways that we can heal from this, and I'm gonna give you some very practical ones that are in scripture and the people that might be able to help. And then we're gonna talk a bit about some intangible ones, the ones that are harder to understand. Second Timothy chapter one, verse five says this. Actually, let me explain what's going on here. So Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor. He is Paul's, one of Paul's right-hand mans. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote uh, most of our, probably half of our New Testament. He was the overseeing pastor of most of the churches in the New Testament. And Timothy was one of his right-hand guys. Young guy. We don't know how young, but we do know he's probably 30 or under. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. It says this, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, 
and I am persuaded now lives in you also. What does this verse have to do with healing? Here's the encouragement to you if you are a mom. Timothy's dad was a Greek Gentile. What does that mean? That means that Timothy's dad probably opposed his faith quite strongly. Timothy's dad probably wasn't overly present. You can look it up, what a father of a Greek, that was a Greek Gentile of that day would have been like. But what do we know? This passage says that his grandmother and his mother were the ones who instilled faith in him. They were the ones who taught them, taught him about who God was. And Paul says, and it stuck with you because your mom spoke about who God was. If you are a mom and you're trying to help your kids heal from what, been, what they've been through, maybe you wish they hadn't gone through it. Maybe the last two Sundays as you listened about fatherless children and what the impact of that is and what a good father should be and you sat there and you thought, you know what, I wish, I wish my kids had that, but they don't. Or I wish they had a father who loved Jesus and would teach them about that. Here's the encouragement in scripture. Is that a young man who grew up in a home where his mother and his grandmother taught him properly about who God was and he became a pastor in the New Testament. You have an impact. Here's what Proverbs says. Um, Proverbs 1 verse 8 says this about moms. Listen my son to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Sounds pretty simple, but I want to explain what those words actually mean because it changes the con it changes the understanding of the word. When it says father or listen to your father's instruction, it's actually instruction actually means your father's discipline. It's saying a father's job in a home is primarily to discipline the children. We're not going to unpack that too much, but the second part says, do not forsake your mother's teaching. It's an interesting word choice that they pick there is teaching, because what it actually means, it means explanation of the law. What is the law? The law is God's word. What is it saying? It's saying that as a mom, your job is to teach your kids about who God is. It's to teach them about what the word says. I'm not saying fathers shouldn't do that too, but specifically in scripture, it splits those two and it says, mothers, your job is to take faith and contextualize it for your kids. Your job is to take the abstract and bring it down into their reality. And if we want to learn anything this morning about healing, the only one who can actually heal in entirety of what we've been through is God the Father. You want to help your kids heal, teach them about what God says. James 
1.5, not my husband James, but in the Bible. Who knows, he might have wrote it, he's pretty wise. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's probably blasphemy or something, isn't it? <laughs> You get fired there. Uh, James 1, verse 5, it says this If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If that is an overwhelming task as moms, if you're feeling like, I don't think I can do that, God has a beautiful verse for you. He says, Just ask. Just ask, and I'll give you wisdom. As moms, the problem comes in is that we're so busy trying to take care of everyone that we don't often spend time to ask, do we? Make sure you don't neglect the asking God for wisdom. So moms, moms, you have an important part in your kids' healing. Number two, and if, for some reason, you are online and there's notes up on your screen and it says number two is different, I'm sorry, I switched it this morning. <laughs> it's not their fault, it's mine. Because I heard something this week and, and um, as this morning, as I was praying through, speaking this morning, this passage came up. And so I just wanted to take a moment and unpack it a bit. Psalms 39, verses 1 to 4. This is David speaking. David, um, without giving you the whole backstory, David had been backstabbed. He is feeling defeated. He's feeling alone. He is broken. He has been hurt over and over and over again by those that he said were close to him, that he felt were his people, He's dealing with a lot of damage. And this is what he wrote. He said, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O oh Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Why do I share that? Because David was depressed. David was contemplating suicide. He's saying, God, take my life like I'm done. He says, I'm done. I'm done sharing. I'm done speaking. I'm not going to talk about anything that's good or bad. I'm just going to sit here in silence and I'm going to move on. And he thought it would solve his problems. What happened when he decided that I'm just going to retreat into myself? I'm not, I'm not engaging in the world anymore. I'm done. He ended up saying, what did he say? He said, my heart grew hot within me. And then he spoke to God. The end of verse 2, it says, my anguish increased. Here's a man who is depressed and suicidal. Why? Because he chose not to share. He chose to retreat from the whole world. You want healing? 
You need some good Christian people around you to speak to. Scripture talks about it over and over and over again that you need to speak of these things and ask someone else in. You need to get prayer. You need to include the body in your healing. We weren't meant to do it alone. I've preached on it before, so I'm not going to get too much into it, but we were made to be relational. That's how we started this relationship series. We were made to be in relationship with one another. God uses other people to help us on our journey. So if God's showing you something, if he's saying, hey, here's the thing I want you to deal with, if there are parts of your childhood, parts of those relationships that you feel like there's no way I'm ever getting past that, it's in a box, it's going to stay there, and I'll continue to function in life. Sometimes the way to get past it is to open the box with someone else. It's a little less scary. It's a little less scary when someone else walks in the dark room with you. Being silent, doing it alone, isn't the solution. The third one is the obvious answer, right? Invite Jesus into the wounds. Sometimes we need to just say, hey God, can you come help? But often that is bigger than, hey God, can you come help? It's often a journey that we go on with God. I'm just going to read a couple of them. What do we do? We need inner healing from our memories. How do we do that? We invite Jesus into the specific memory. The reason why you take 30 seconds, and I encourage you later to take more, is to say, hey God, what are those memories? Your brain does a really interesting thing when you deal with trauma. Often it'll do one of two things. It'll amplify it, which means you'll relive it over and over and over again. Something will constantly trigger it. Or it'll shut it down and it'll pretend it never happened. You'll actually lose the memory of it. The effects of it are often still there, but the memory might disappear. The importance of asking the Holy Spirit, saying, what is it that I need healing from? The second piece is you need to understand the lies that you accepted in that trauma. You can't change the way you think unless you know how you're thinking. You need to ask God, what have I accepted that isn't your truth over my life in those moments? And then you need to ask God to replace that. What was the truth? that you spoke over me? Why did you create me? Forgiveness isn't a moment in time. Forgiveness is a journey that we go on. I actually have said it before, so I apologize if you heard me say it before, but the idea of healing and forgiveness, we kind of speak of it in the church as it's like this moment. You ask, you do, you move on. Instead of understanding that often, don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit can do that. 
it can heal you in a moment and you can move on in a moment. But sometimes it is you ask and God gives you a piece and then something happens and you ask again and he gives you another piece and something happens and he asks and you give me another piece and eventually you have all the pieces. But it is a journey. I'm going to end here. Matthew 11. I'm going to call the worship team up. Matthew chapter 11. Twenty-eight to thirty. Again, you've probably heard me preach on this as well, because I love the verse. It says this: "Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." See, God wants to heal you from childhood relationships. Why? So that you can be the vehicle that he intended you to be. Because if you don't know what you were intended for, you often are trying to serve a purpose that wasn't yours to serve. You're trying to serve the purpose that maybe other people have placed on you. Other people have told you that you should be. Other people have told you that you cannot be. Why do I love this verse in Matthew? Because we see it as, oh, your burden, your yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, you look at the original text and it's beautiful text. What it's actually saying is it's saying that there is use in the burden and I'm going to give you purpose. Use and purpose are very different than easy and light. But when our pain all of a sudden has purpose, the hurt doesn't hurt quite as bad. Anyone who is an athlete in any capacity, you know that often there's pain, right? We got hockey players here, right? Do you always feel like doing what you're doing? There's pain in it, right? Like sometimes you feel like, no, I'm going to die. And your coach is like, get back out there and go skate. <laughs> but I'm going to puke. I don't care. Get back out there. Why do you do it? Because you know the end is worth it. You know that there's purpose in what you're doing. There's purpose in the journey. What God promises to do is not to make your life easy. What he promises is he says, I will take all of your pain, all of your hurt, all of the things you've been through, and I will give them use and purpose if you allow me to. Here's the problem. When you pretend the hurt and the pain isn't there, it doesn't have purpose. It doesn't have use. The only time your pain has purpose and use is when you acknowledge it. When you choose to work through the pain and you choose to say, my story will not have a negative hold on me anymore. My story will only give fruit in my life. I share my story often. I'm not going to share it this morning, but I share my story often. 
The reason I share my story often is because I know that that's how I've healed through my story. And you know what it also does? It reminds me of something beautiful. It reminds me of how far God's brought me. It reminds me of how much restoring God has done in my life. If you asked me 20 years ago, if I would stand up here and preach God's word with purpose, I would have said no. Because I didn't think I had worth or purpose. But God takes what we've been through and he gives it purpose. This morning as you leave here, as we end our service and everyone goes on with their day and we have small talk and we chat, I encourage you later on, take a moment. I don't really care where your walk with Jesus is. Take a moment, ask God this question. What hurt do you wanna give purpose to? What brokenness is still not healed? That I'm only limping along, I'm not really getting to where I wanna be because I haven't really fixed it. Find someone that you care about, that you know loves Jesus, and bring them into that. Ask for prayer, and give it some time. Let me pray over you, church. God, I thank you. I thank you that your intention for us is for us to be restored. That you created all of us with a unique purpose, and the only way that we can fulfill that purpose is by allowing you in to do a complete healing in our lives. God, I pray over your church this morning, wherever they're meeting from. God, that you would start showing those pieces that they need to deal with, the pieces that you are just sitting there waiting to be invited into. God, I pray that you will bring healing into that. God, I pray for the moms that are here and listening that are overwhelmed with the thought of teaching your word to their children. God, I pray that they would go to you for wisdom and that you would give it to them. And God, I pray for those friends that are gonna be asked to come into that hurt. I pray that you would also give them wisdom to speak words of life to speak words that you say over your church, over every believer, that we are fully loved, fully accepted, that we were created with a plan and a purpose for our lives. May your truth take root in our hearts this morning and overshadow anything else that has grown there. We thank you for who you are. In your name, amen.